Welcome everyone to the Friday edition of Couch Potato Diary, coming to you from the Clearwater Cleaning Solutions broadcast studio. Clearwater Cleaning Solutions is a locally owned commercial and residential cleaning company who specializes in commercial cleaning from shared workspaces in commercial buildings to medical clinics, retail stores, production facilities, and high-rise building maintenance. Check them out online, clearwatercleaningsolutions.com. Check me out online, social media, Twitter and Instagram. I'm at primetimekline, twitch.tv slash primetimepk. You can email the show, couchpotatodiary at yahoo.com. The music for the show is provided by Waste of Talent. Find them on Instagram at Waste of Talent with X's where the A's would be. It is a busy one today. It is Super Bowl preview time. It is UFC preview time. A lot to dive into. If you're looking for some trade deadline thoughts, I posted the bonus episode yesterday on uh, just some trade deadline stuff that I did with the Fresh Take Network. So all of that is available right now on this feed as well as with the Fresh Take Network. So it is a football and fights Friday. Let's get right into it and we will start with football. Quick note before we get to the Super Bowl. Um, talked last week about Andrew Harris potentially being available. I... I still thought the odds were that he was going to end up with Winnipeg, and he doesn't. He is off now to the Toronto Argonauts. I think that's a major move for Toronto, and I I still think there is a lot left in the tank there, and I think this is a significant hit to the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Winnipeg, I still think the favorites out of the West. Hamilton's got some work to do to, to catch up, I think, now to Toronto out in the East. So, quick CFL thing there. But now let's get into it. It is the Super Bowl. It is finally here this weekend. The longest season in NFL history culminates with the Rams taking on the Bengals. Turns out, all this time, the only thing that was holding Cincinnati back, just one more week, one more week to get their stuff together, and now the Bengals franchise is in the Super Bowl for the first time in a billion years. Going to go into the, the game breakdown first, and then we'll have some fun with the the prop bets at the end. There's a bunch of them that I like this year, actually. But let, let's start. When Cincinnati has the football, this is, I, I think, the biggest story of this game because I like the the, the Bengals defense has been playing better, but I, I think the main focus, and you, as you've been hearing for the last couple of weeks, my main focus was going to be on this side of the ball. I just don't see a way that Cincinnati is able to protect Joe Burrow in a way that is necessary. And I understand he has been phenomenal in the last few weeks of being able to avoid the rush uh, at times. I mean, he still got sacked nine times against the Tennessee Titans. The Titans just had a terrible offensive game plan and terrible execution. And the Bengals, look, they, they did phenomenal things in that game. The Bengals were lucky to win that game. I think this game will be rather similar. If you look at it like the, they were the ones who did the comeback in the, the second half, they were lucky to win that game against Kansas City. I, I look at the Tennessee game and I look at the Kansas City game and while Cincinnati did a lot right, I do think that a lot of those games were their opponents losing them instead of the Bengals winning them. I don't think that's going to be the case here against the LA Rams. It's one thing to get away from the Tennessee pass rush and to get away from a Kansas City pass rush. It's an entirely different thing when you have guys who are going to be wearing gold jackets running at you. Aaron Donald is going to have a monster day. Von Miller is going to have a monster day. And a lot has to change for Cincinnati. First of all, Obviously, the protection issues are what they are, and they are a major problem. But then the play calling, that this is still one of the teams in the league that runs the ball the most on first down, and we've established that it is easier to throw the ball on first down than it is to, to run the ball. And a lot of teams, the thought was, run a couple of times, first and second down, and then on third down, we'll pass for whatever we have left. And now, 
on first down, we're seeing more and more that it's a little bit easier to throw because defenses like there isn't a and obvious we know what to expect. The Cincinnati Bengals' main plan in this game has to be make life as easy as possible on Joe Burrow. I think you're going to see a lot of very quick passes, especially early on, and I think you're going to see Cincinnati try a number of different things, whether it be with the uh, screen game. I think you're going to see a few draws. I think you're going to see Samaji Pirine be actually very involved in the offense. I think you're going to get a lot of those. Let's just get them in rhythm, quick passes, little hitch screen out to Jamar Chase and th- those types of things. I just don't, That that's fine. But then all of a sudden it's third and seven. And what are you doing? Because that pass rush is going to have their ears pinned back. Anytime it's more than third and five or anything like that, I think that it's going to end up with Joe Burrow having to to run for his life. I just, I don't, I don't see this going particularly well. And because of that, like because of the offensive line issues, I don't see them being able to run the ball. Like I think this could be a pretty ugly game actually for Cincinnati. And then on top of that, you have Jalen Ramsey, who is still one of the best corners in the league. I would imagine he is going to be very familiar with Jamar Chase by the time this game is over. Those two will have spent a lot of this football game running side by side. So now you have a pressure coming. You have your... I'll just throw it up and see if Jamar gets it. That's kind of taken away with Jalen Ramsey. Will Burrow have time to drop, 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 chase is covered, let's go to Higgins? Is there that time to be able to make those moves? The other factor that I'm very concerned about from a Cincinnati game plan standpoint and a Cincinnati just offensive execution standpoint in general, what does it, what does it look like without CJ Uzama? And I know... A, he's expected to play, and B, he's just the tight end. However, when you have situations like this, I've talked about it before, tight ends can be young quarterbacks' best friends as just kind of those safety valves. This is a multi-week injury that Uzoma's coming back from, and bless him for doing it. I just don't know how much CJ Uzoma you're going to have. And again, it seems with all the star power in this game, it seems ridiculous to focus on this, but the Bengals are going to need all hands on deck. And it seems like one of those hands is going to be at 50%. How much is that going to affect things when kind of your break glass in case of emergency isn't available? I, I, I just, I, it's very clear. I have major concerns about what Cincinnati can do on offense. What's it going to look like if it actually goes well? well? What it looks like is Joe Burrow has run for his life. He has evaded tackles. And now you have forced the Rams secondary to cover for five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten seconds, giving some of these receivers time to get open. Or it's going to be a lot of desperation throws and a lot of just heaving it up and plays were made like it's that that's I I just don't see this looking like a standard NFL offense and things going well for the Cincinnati Bengals when the Rams have the football the Bengals defense has improved as this season has gone along but I, I still I have some concerns about this team in defending the run and because of that I think that this could be a pretty big Cam Akers game. And I I know he hasn't looked phenomenal in the first couple of weeks. uh, But, I mean, 
that 49ers team can be a little bit difficult to run on at times. And that they have a matchup against the Arizona Cardinals, a team that can be difficult to run on at times. I, I think this will be a bit easier for him. I think Cam Akers has a pretty big game here. I, I think it's very clear where I see this game going. I think that the Rams have a lot of success here. And I think that Cam Akers, especially in the second half, we're going to see a lot of him as the Rams potentially try to, to run the clock out. So the, the game script could be very important for Cam Akers in this one. And from a, a secondary standpoint, we We've seen a couple of players really step up for the Bengals in this postseason. But again, you are now facing a Rams team that it's not... I, I don't want to say they have a better offense than Kansas City because we know how good Kansas City can be at their peak. However, there's just so many different weapons on this team that the, the Rams are able to, to utilize. I don't know if the Bengals will be able to focus on all of them. And so maybe this isn't the biggest Cooper Cup game, but maybe it's a big Odell Beckham Jr. game. If it's not him, it's Van Jefferson. I'm interested to see if Daryl Henderson is potentially okay for this game. That's a three-headed monster at running back. That's why I'm not as all-in on some of the Cam Akers stuff, but I, I am looking at it. I, I think that there's... I, I think this could be a big day for the, the LA Rams. I, I really do. I, I think that Matthew Stafford is probably going to have a bit of time in that pocket to, to be able to do a few things. And what I'm interested in is what adjustments now does this Bengals defense make? Because we saw last week what they were able to do, or a couple of weeks ago now, I guess, what they were able to do against Kansas City when they just rushed three, dropped eight. Will you be able to do that against the LA Rams? And I, I think Matthew Stafford can be a little bit more patient than what... Patrick Mahomes was able to do, but one of the reasons that works so well against Kansas City is you have, obviously you have Kelsey and, and Hill, right? Like, but Hill's big thing, while he is very difficult to cover in short routes, but his big thing is busting the top off a of defense. When you drop eight, it's very difficult to bust the top on that defense. And Kelsey, he's fine at finding these holes. Well, when there's eight guys drop back there, there aren't as many holes. Like, there's openings on the field, obviously, but the passing lanes can be a little bit difficult to get into. When you're only focusing on two dudes, it becomes a little bit easier to just drop eight and take away all those passing lanes. But because the Rams have so many more weapons that can get open, I just don't know if that's going to be the way that you defend this LA Rams team. And Matthew Stafford, when he's not pressured, he can pick a defense apart. So I... I just think that this is a bad matchup for the Cincinnati Bengals. I really do. And I know I've picked against them every week, but now is what we get into the, the prediction portion of this. I think the Rams win this one, and quite frankly, I think the Rams win it pretty big. So I have the Rams covering four, and I like the under at 48.5. I don't think the Bengals are going to do their part to get to that. And so because of that, I have the Bengals team total under 21.5 as well. Some of the prop bets that I am looking at for Sunday's Super Bowl, there's a bunch of them that I like this time. First off, tails never fails, baby. Gotta go tails in the, the coin toss. You have to bet on the coin toss. Nice way to get a, a quick, easy win right off the bat. I mean, not easy win. It's 50-50. Obviously, it's a coin toss. But we talked before about different ways that I see this game going. I said before, I think it's going to be a big day for Aaron Donald. I think it's going to be a very big day for him. I think he wins MVP of this game. That's currently at plus 1,000. I like those odds quite a bit. Because I think Burrow is going to be under pressure and because I don't think this offense is going to be able to move the ball very well, I think Burrow's passing total right, uh, total right now, excuse me, which is under uh, which is at 22, 225 and a half passing yards. Holy crap. I will take the under on that one, which is at plus 300 right now. I like that one. I think that was one of those alternative lines. Um, Odell Beckham Jr., longest reception. 
23 and a half. I will take that one. I, I think he has at least one big play in this game. This is one that I'm not as 100% on, but I, I think could be a little bit interesting. Odell Beckham Jr., more receiving yards than Jamar Chase. I think Jalen Ramsey has the potential to shut Jamar Chase down. I think there's going to be a lot of focus kind of directed toward Cooper Cup. Odell Beckham Jr., We've seen you put him in one-on-one, he's going to have a good day. So I think Odell Beckham Jr. gets the job done here and gets more receiving yards than Jamar Chase. That's at plus 165. Both quarterbacks, I think, go under the rushing yards. The the Burrow one is a little bit concerning. He is a mobile quarterback, but he's not a quarterback who does a lot of running. He uses his mobility to stay in the pocket. The way that this fails is he escapes the rush, there's nothing open downfield, and then he runs. But there, there, I don't think there's going to be a lot of designed run plays for Joe Burrow. Or maybe that's the way they they throw the Rams off the scent, a few uh, RPOs. We haven't seen that a ton with this team this year, I don't believe. Maybe that's the way they alternate it. But I'm going to make them prove that to me. So I'm going to say under 11.5 rushing yards. Matthew Stafford, under 5.5 rushing yards. I will take that all day long. Um, I... I feel pretty comfortable taking that one. And a couple of fun picks to close out the Super Bowl preview here. I will go with uh, Orange Gatorade to be dumped on the winning coach during the celebrations. Orange was the favorite going in. And this one, I get what people are coming from on it, but Eminem won't be censored during his halftime performance is plus 135. I understand, like, a lot of these dudes swear in their songs. But, like, this is a heavily produced segment and a heavily produced set, and it will have gone over, they will have gone over it over and over and over and over and over again. And I'm sure Eminem can be a bit of a wild child sometimes, but I just, I don't see him doing that. So I, I think that I, I'm, this is basically, will Eminem swear? I'm going to say no at plus 135. I say he won't be censored at any point during his performance. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is your Super Bowl preview. The music that you hear on Couch Potato Diary is provided by Wasted Talent. Find them on Instagram, at Wasted Talent, with X's where the A's would be. And you can also find their producer on Instagram, at Tommy Fresh Music. Super Bowl weekend also is a big time for the Ultimate Fighting Championship as they put on one of their biggest shows of the year. Uh, Generally speaking, they at least like to highlight a superstar, and that's what they are doing here with Israel Adesanya taking on Robert Whittaker for the middleweight championship of the world. Not going to run through the entire card on this one because we have Super Bowl preview. Uh, We had trade deadline stuff coming up this week. There was just a lot to focus on. Quickly, you have Alex Perez and Matt Schnell is canceled for the fourth time. Perez doesn't make weight. Schnell isn't having that. He doesn't care. He's going to get his show money and he's going to get out of uh, Houston, Texas with at least a little bit of cash. So he is out. That means this fight is off. Always frustrating when you have someone miss weight in uh, in such a way. Also, you have William Knight miss weight by 12 pounds for his match uh, uh, for his fight against uh, Maxine Grishin. So that moves from a light heavyweight fight now up to a heavyweight contest. And Knight has been fined, I believe it's 40% of his purse. We have talked about weight cutting issues in the past. I am extremely frustrated by things like this and I yeah it's just 
that it, to me, it's unprofessional. That this is this is part of your job. And G and I have gone back and forth. I understand it sucks, and it's re- it's a very difficult part of fighting. Also, potentially a touch unnecessary. If it is going to be so difficult for you to make that weight, move up a weight class. Fight at heavyweight. You got abs. You're almost locked into a top fifteen spot in in heavyweight. You have a job to do, and part of that job is to make weight. There is a contract for a reason. There are weight classes for a reason. To miss by this much is just straight up disrespectful and remarkably unprofessional. And if if William Knight loses this fight, I have no problem if the UFC wants to cut him. Uh, A couple of names that you'll recognize on the prelims, you have Roxanne Montefari taking on Casey O'Neill in the women's flyweight division. And Andre Arlovsky is back in the heavyweight division as he is taking on Jared Vandera. So couple of fights to look at there. Not the deepest card, admittedly. There's a couple of fights on here I'm excited about, but th- this isn't a, oh my god, this is so stacked. Th- there's some intriguing fights on here. We'll start, we'll, we'll run through the main card here. Bobby Green taking on Nasrat Hakparast in the lightweight division. You have Green, 35 years old, sending at 5'10", born in San Bernardino, California, training at Pinnacle MMA. Walks to the octagon with a 28-12-1 record, with 18 of those wins being finished, including his last Last one at UFC 268, a victory over Rage and Al Ayakunta. That ends a two-fight losing streak for Green, which was after a three-fight winning streak for Green. It was also the first time that a Bobby Green fight didn't go to the judges since 2016 when he was knocked out by Dustin Poirier and his first knockout win since 2013 against James Krause. That was UFC fight for the troops Three. That's how long ago it was. But Danny, uh, sorry, Bobby Green is staying active. He is four and two during the pandemic. This is a guy who has been extremely busy in getting some fights, and we've seen a resurgence for him. Like we said, four and two in his time during this pandemic. He's been a pro since two thousand eight. It brings his record to nine seven and one in the Ultimate Fighting Championship after a four and one run in strike force. He is taking on Hackprast, 26 years old, born in Hamburg, Germany, training out of TriStar, 13-4, nine wins by knockout. He has been stopped in two of his four losses. He lost a unanimous decision to Dan Hooker back at UFC 266, which ended a two-fight winning streak for him. The last three times he has fought, the judges have been required, and he is 5-2 and two in the octagon. I am intrigued by Hackparast as a content or as a prospect, I guess. I, I still think there is some growth to be had. And that's why I think this is an interesting matchup because Bobby Green, while I'm not necessarily buying that this is a, a massive renaissance for him and he is on his way to a lightweight championship match, that this is at least a difficult fight for Hackparast. And I think it's going to be a good litmus test to see where does this potentially promising contender fit in at 155 pounds. I I like Hackparast to pick up a win in this fight. He, like I said before, he's a prospect that intrigues me. I don't know if we're ever going to see him with a championship belt around his waist. We're certainly going to see numbers by his name. Dan Hooker is not an easy fight, but I, I think Hackparast is able to, to get the job done here. I think he wins it by decision. Also, always intrigued by these guys. Pro since 2012, he lost his pro debut and then won eight in a row before losing his UFC debut, and he's gone 5-1 and one 
since that point. In the bantamweight division, Kyler Phillips takes on Marcelo Rojo, 26 years old is Phillips. He is 5'8", training at uh, MMA Lab, born in Torrance, California, 9-2 as a professional with five wins coming by knockout, another by submission. He has not been stopped in either of his losses. His last loss coming in his last fight, July of 2021 on ESPN, a majority decision loss to Ralian Paiva that ended a four-fight winning streak for him. He has also fought in LFA and is currently 3-1 in the Ultimate Fighting Championship. Rojo is 33 years old, 5'8", born in Cordoba, Argentina, 16-7. and seven. He has finished 14 of those 16 wins. He has been finished in five of his seven losses. He lost his UFC debut back in March against Charles Jordan. It was a knockout loss for him. He has alternated wins and losses in his last four after a very successful run in Combate Americas. I think that Phillips is able to get back on track with a victory in this bout. I just haven't seen enough. I mean, to be perfectly frank, I haven't seen enough of either of these guys, just period, end of story. But I haven't seen enough from Rojo to make me think, oh, well, this guy's got something here. So I, I like Kyler Phillips to get the job done in this bout. Intriguing middleweight fight as a couple of guys fight for relevancy. Jared Cannonier is 37 years old, standing six feet tall, born in Dallas, Texas. He will be uh, one with the hometown advantage in this bout, training out of the MMA lab. 14-5 and five is the record. Nine of those wins coming by knockout. He has a decision win in his last bout in August against Kelvin Gastelum. That came after a loss to Robert Whitaker. The issue for Cannonier, 37 years old, so there is certainly... Some wear and tear on that body. One fight in 2021, one fight in 2020, two fights in 2019. He is 7-5 in the UFC, but is 4-1 since the move to middleweight. He has been a pro since 2011. Derek Brunson, 38 years old, six foot one, training out of Sanford MMA, born in Wilmington, North Carolina. 23 and seven is his professional record coming off of a submission win over Darren Till. He is riding a five-fight winning streak. He has finished two. This winning streak comes after back-to-back -back losses to Israel Adesanya and Jacare Souza. He's also lost to Jacare in strike force. 14 and five in the UFC after a three and two run in strike force with his only losses coming to Jacare and Kendall Grove. This is a fighter who made his UFC debut at UFC 155 with a win over Chris Lieben. Max Holloway was fighting on the Facebook prelims at that point. Uh, Brunson is a Division One All-American wrestler out of the, or, sorry, Division Two All-American wrestler out of the University of North Carolina at Pembroke. He's also a BJJ black belt who has been a professional since 2010. So a couple of veterans at middleweight who are trying to stake their claim to being the next ones up to face either Israel Adesanya or Robert Whitaker in the main event. Jared Cannonier, like we said before, it has been a successful run at middleweight. I have Always thought that there was something there with Derek Brunson, but there was, as Luke Thomas would put it, an upper bound limit on where Derek Brunson can go. I and I, I think we are getting to that point. It's it's a win over Kelvin Gastelum that is great to get him back on track, but I think Jared Cannonier is. Uh, oh, sorry, it was a win against Darren Till that gets him back on track. Sorry, I think Jared Cannonier is just on a bit of another level right now since this move down to 185 pounds. I like Cannonier to get the job done 
here. In the co-main event, a couple of extremely likable heavyweights do battle as Derek Lewis takes on Tai Tuivasa. Lewis, 37 years old, six foot three, born in New Orleans, Louisiana, but is certainly fighting in his adopted home of Houston, Texas. 26 and eight with one no contest, 21 wins by knockout the most. Um, he also has the most knockout wins in UFC history, uh, including his win in his last bout back in December against Chris Dacus. It was a bounce back from his loss to Cyril Gaunt, which ended a four fight winning streak. He's KO'd his last three wins and is 16 and six in his UFC career. Tuivasa, 28 years old, six foot two, born in Sydney, Australia, training at American Kickboxing Academy, 13 and three for the record. 12 of those wins coming by knockout, including a win over Augusto Sakai back at UFC 269, which has him on a four-fight winning streak. That was the first of those four that needed the second round. Tuivasa has been on an absolute tear, and it feels like he, he had a couple of setbacks, but it feels like this is a fighter who is now starting to reach that potential. And this is clearly Clearly, the biggest step up in competition for Tai Tuivasa. And this is certainly one, don't blink, because it could end quick. And if it goes to the third round, it is going to be an ugly fight. I think Tuivasa just has a couple more tools in the toolbox. I like him a lot. I think he is a rising prospect. And while Derek Lewis was able to get a knockout win over Chris Dacus, I do think that Lewis is starting to slip just a touch. And I, I think that this is one of those two ships passing in the night sort of a, a bout. I like Tuivasa to get the job done here in the main, uh, in the co-main event at heavyweight. But Derek Lewis, obviously a hometown favorite. For those who don't know, this fight taking place in Houston, Texas, Lewis Always going to be on the Houston cards now, for now on. When they were having the flooding back in Houston a few years ago, he drove around in his truck, and it's estimated he saved 100 people from drowning. So obviously a good dude, uh, and obviously a fan favorite in Houston, but I, I think Tai Tuivasa, who is extremely likable himself, is going to get the job done. And then in the main event of the evening, the middleweight championship is on the line, as Israel Adesanya defends against Robert Whitaker, Adesanya, 32 years old, standing at six foot four, born in Nigeria, residing in New Zealand. 21 and one is his record. His one loss coming by decision. That one loss was at 205 pounds. He also has 15 wins by knockout. His last victory, a unanimous decision win over Marvin Vittori back at UFC 263, which was his third title defense. It was a bounce back loss, like I mentioned, from a defeat at the hands of Jan Blahovich. He has knocked out two of his last four wins, including Robert Whitaker back at UFC 243 in 2019, which unified the middleweight championships, which is crazy because he started his UFC journey in 2018. 18, also a former glory kickboxer. The challenger is Robert Whitaker, 31 years old, 5'11", born in Auckland, New Zealand, 23-5 and for his record with 14 of his wins being finished. He has needed the judges' scorecards a few times, including his last bout back in April, a unanimous decision win over Kelvin Gastelum. It is a three-fight winning streak since he lost to Israel Adesanya. All three of those has been uh, have been by decision. Whitaker moved up from welterweight to middleweight, and he was on fire. 11-1 and one in that time. He has wins over Gastelum, Darren Till, Yoel Romero, Jacare Souza, Derek Brunson, also fighting on this card. 13-3 and three in the UFC in general after a run on tough smashes where he won the welterweight crown there. This is so clearly the best fight to make at 185 pounds. And these are so clearly the best two fighters at 185 pounds in the UFC. Like the, the rest of the division 
I don't think is particularly close to these guys right now. This is one, you, you hear the wrestling fans chant it quite a bit, the whole fight forever thing. These guys could fight forever, and I would be totally okay with it. They are two extremely talented strikers and two extremely talented fighters. The issue for Robert Whitaker is, while I, I say these are two of the best, Israel Adesanya, I think, is clearly the best. It is just another world striking with Israel Adesanya. And we, we saw in his fight against Jan Blachowicz, there is at least a bit of a way that you could be able to, to beat Israel Adesanya, but you kind of have to be 20 pounds heavier to be able to do it. Marvin Vittori had that game plan, and he got pieced apart. There is no one who moves like Adesanya. There is no one who strikes like Adesanya. There is a flow to him that no one else can match. And Robert Whitaker has the power to shut those lights off very, very quickly. Now, three decisions in his last three fights since that loss to Israel Adesanya. Does that mean he's pulled back a little bit? Does that mean, I'm not saying he's taking a little bit off, but we saw in the loss to Israel Adesanya, there was a lot of pushing forward. There was a lot of really going for it. And there was a lot of pressure on Whitaker in that fight. Um, while he's born in Auckland, New Zealand, he is also someone who has uh, Australian heritage and that that was a very big fight for him. It was in Australia. He has the hometown fans behind him. I think there was a lot of pressure on him and that's why you saw a bit more of a reckless game plan. And if you're going to be reckless against Israel Adesanya, you're going to be looking up at the lights very, very quickly. I think Whitaker is an amazing fighter and if Israel Adesanya either didn't exist or moved up to 205 pounds, Robert Whitaker would be looked at as one of the best 185-pound fighters of all time. And he still should. Like, that that, that still should be an, an area that he is allowed to, to, to reside in and a table that he should be allowed to sit at. The problem is he is facing maybe the second-best middleweight of all time, and an argument could be made for the first. Anderson Silva's run of dominance was just like nothing we had ever seen before. And I, I will say since. I, I still hold Anderson Silva in that GOAT category at middleweight. But... Israel Adesanya is getting up there. I just, I think the crispness is too much. I think the, the fluidity is too much. The technique is a bit too much. And Whitaker, if he has a bit more of a composed game plan, that's fine. But to me, it's just a matter of, do you want to get picked apart at distance or do you want to get clipped while you're charging in? Either way, I think Israel Adesanya gets the win. And I don't want this to sound like any type of a, a, a commentary on the fighting skills of Robert Whitaker, because I think he is incredibly talented. This is just another animal. I am so looking forward to this fight coming up on Saturday. I, I think these are two fighters who, I, I said it to my wife this morning when we were watching the Countdown show, these are two fighters who just make you love fall in love with fighting all over again. The, the power they have, the brilliance they have, the technique that they have, it's all masterful. And so I, I have immense respect for both fighters who are stepping into this octagon. I just think Israel Adesanya is able to get the job done. So I like Izzy to win, and I, I think that there is a finish involved in this one as well. But it's going to be it's gonna be an awesome weekend, man. We got uh, the Olympics are going on. The Waste Management Open is always such a fun golf event because everyone is bombed out of their mind. And you have... Major fight night card coming up on Saturday. You have a Super Bowl that I'm not predicting is going to be the closest of Super Bowls, but you got a great halftime show with it. We just had the NBA trade deadline. Shit's going down in the NHL now. It's a, a very fun time to be a sports fan. Looking forward to breaking it all down with you all next week. As far as what you'll hear on here for the weekend is concerned, the plan right now, tonight, just planning on going on Twitch, just having some drinks, having some fun. Saturday night, the plan is to go back on Twitch 
after the UFC card is done to break it all down there. I don't know about a, a Twitch on Super Bowl Sunday. That one is to be determined. But either way, a lot of fun stuff coming for you guys here. Thank you all so much for downloading and listening today. Remember, rate, review, subscribe wherever possible. And remember to give the gift of time during the month of February. Call in and book a residential cleaning for someone you love and get 14% off. When you call in to 403-274-3998, mention you are phoning about the Clear Water Cleaning Solutions Valentine's promotion. If you want more from me, I am on Twitter and Instagram at PrimetimeKlein, twitch.tv slash PrimetimePK. You can email the show, CouchPotatoDiary at Yahoo.com. The music that you're listening to, provided by Wasted Talent. Check them out on Instagram at Wasted Talent, with X is where the A's would be. Find their producer on Instagram at TommyFreshMusic. We Had No Idea comes out every Wednesday morning, usually. Came out this morning, um, this week, Martin Luther King Jr., Quite the profile to, to have on him. Proud of the work that we did on that one. So check that out as well. And of course, you can hear me sporadically on the Fresh Take Network. Thank you guys so, so much for tuning in. And I will talk to y'all later. I'm out. <laughs>